family feud to start things off. We may be the only church that is starting our Sunday off that way. Love it so much. Uh, I'm Pat, one of the pastors on the team here, and it is a huge uh, honor and joy for me to get to share on Student Ministry Sunday, uh, because in 2008, when my wife and I first started coming to Overlake, uh, we would come in and we'd sit somewhere in this section. So these are my people over here. And uh, yeah, woo! Uh, uh, and we'd come in and for about six months, we'd kind of float in and float out. And we loved the teaching and the worship. And, uh, and it took us maybe six months to feel like, okay, the warmth that we've experienced here, uh, the authenticity that we've seen, uh, Overlake is the real deal. And so we kind of mustered up the courage after six months to stop by and have a conversation with one of the student ministry pastors at the time. And little did we know it would really set a new trajectory for our lives. Uh, for two years, we just faithfully served and volunteered primarily in the, the middle school age group because that's where we, both my wife and I, kind of came to faith. Uh, it was a huge years in our faith journey. And, uh, and at the end of about two years, I got the invitation for a crazy career move, and it was one of the, the best decisions ever to join the student ministries team full time. And so that was six and a half years ago, which is crazy to think. And my, my role has changed some, my job has changed some, but my love, my heart for students has never waned. And so it's su super fun and special to, to be here this morning sharing a little bit. And what I'd love to do, how I'd love to spend our time together, is really by unpacking uh, the vision statement of student ministries. And, and I don't want to do it in a way where it's just kind of informational, like, hey, here's what student ministries is kind of up to, what they're about. I really want to make sure it feels invitational, because I really think the vision that student ministries has right now under Pastor Neely's leadership is one that we could all go after as a family, and I think we all should go after as a family. And so the way I want to kick it off and kind of where I want to go with this is by looking at a great short story in Scripture. And so if you've been, if you grew up in Sunday school or children's church, uh, this may be a familiar one to you. If, if maybe this is your first time in church ever, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And maybe this is the first Bible story you've ever heard. Uh, you came on a great Sunday because this one's a classic, classic short story right here out of the book of Luke starting in verse 1 in chapter 19, 19 verse 1. Here's what we find. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And so here we have Jericho as the setting, the city. And what's crazy is it's known as the city of palms, the city of palms. And actually, crazy enough, I got to go there earlier this year and I can testify, it really is like an oasis surrounded by desert wilderness. And so you come to this place, and in this particular season in history, we know there were two commodities in particular that were huge in trade for this region, balsam and myrrh. And so here's Zacchaeus, a Jewish man employed by the Roman government, is able to get incredibly wealthy given the region he's in. And he does so by making sure that the Romans' interests come first, uh, followed closely by his own. He lines his own pockets uh, by overcharging people. And then thirdly is really maybe the, the concern and needs of his neighbors. And what we find is that's really in direct opposition to who's waltzing through town this day. So, so let's continue. 
It says this. It says in verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So I love Zacchaeus. We know he's uh, super rich and super short. And so he gets super smart, and he's like, all right, there's no way I'm going to be able to see Jesus in the midst of all these crowds. So he runs up ahead, uh, down the streetways, and then climbs up a tree. Uh, I know we've all been in crowds before. Uh, we've been at Snowflake Lane, maybe. My wife and I were there on Friday when Santa came to town. Crazy crowds. Uh, anyone in here, just curious, a couple years back, Super Bowl parade as it came down through town. Come on. These are the 12s right here. My wife and I were there. It was freezing. I'm sure everyone with their hand raised. It was a frigid day. Uh, I've never seen crowds like that in my life. Uh, people literally are kind of like Zacchaeus. I saw people in trees. I saw people standing in flower beds and balconies, climbing things, kids on shoulders, uh, hundreds of thousands of smartphones up in the air, right? Just trying to get pictures and videos, Snapchats of, of the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson and the Vince Lombardi trophy as it goes by. Uh, and so you get an idea. We get an idea that Jesus was an incredibly big deal at this time, to draw such crowds, to, to show such interest from people as he's coming into towns. And so that's what we see this day. And so we continue, and it says that when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love this. I love that Jesus just kind of invites himself over. Right? My mom would have killed me if I would have done anything like that. Like, you never invite yourself over. Uh, one of my favorite authors says that he had been telling people for a long time that Jesus was homeless. Until he realized in reading the Gospels, everywhere he went, he had a home. And I think that's so true. You look at all the Gospel accounts, every area Jesus goes, someone is welcoming them into his home, into their home. And what I think, I actually think there's a really deep theological truth here. I really think that this idea is one that goes beyond just kind of welcoming into spaces, places, geography. I think there's a depth to this verse that we get when we recognize the greatest act of hospitality that each and every one of us has is whether or not when Jesus invites himself in, into our home, into our heart, our lives, will we accept or will we decline? He for sure pursues us, but we still get to make the, or make the decision to accept or decline. So, so let's see what Zacchaeus does here. Verse 6. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So two huge different reactions, polar opposites. One, sheer joy and excitement. Another, grumbling, displeased crowds. And Jesus still to this day is causing the same type of reactions. And now we finish it. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So I love it. Jesus dines with a notorious sinner. And by the end of their time together, somehow, in some way, this man decides to impose a tax upon himself, 50%, to give to the poor. 
And it doesn't even include the restitutions that he's offering and is vowing to make to anyone he's cheated over time. Four times as much. And because of that, Jesus responds after seeing this huge statement of faith. And he says that this whole kingdom thing that Jesus has been talking about, this whole, this whole idea of salvation that Jesus has been going about and preaching about, he says and he claims and he points to Zacchaeus and he says, surely this man gets it. Salvation has come to this home, to this man today. And so what is it that we can learn from this story and how it really is so beautifully intertwined with the vision in student ministries and really here at Overlake? And that's what we're going to look at together in, a, in, a, in the, the last few moments together. So there's five words, five things that we would desire that every person at Overlake would experience and the first is this. The first word, if you love to take notes or maybe you just memorize them, uh, the first word is loved. Our desire is that OCC is a place where each person is loved. And so where do we see this in the story? Well, what I would say is just begin by asking the question, what's Jesus doing in Jericho in the first place? What's he up to? And you don't have to go far. You just Actually, we just read the verse. In verse 10 there, it says this, and I'll just read it again. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. There's the mission statement of Jesus. Not just why he was at Jericho or why he visited Jerusalem and Capernaum and all these other places, but why he came to earth, why he came into this world. It is one spurred and, and, and is one that is pursued with love, an unrelenting love that he has for everyone. Not just the good little boys and girls, but those that are oppressed, those that are marginalized. And then his love goes even beyond the margins. And it goes to those who have oppressed, those who have created those people groups, the oppressed people groups, the marginalized people groups. His love goes out to the liars, the cheaters, the oppressors, the xenophobes, the racists, the warmongers. His love covers all, is for all. And for those who follow him, he urges us to be on the same mission. And he uses these words and offers this invitation in John chapter 20, verse 21. He says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Overlake, because we follow Jesus, we too love all. Every person who comes here, our heart and our desires that this is a place where each person is loved. And what's crazy is to actually even just think of the posture that Jesus came into town that day. He didn't come kind of being raised on shoulders of men. He didn't come in the Pope Mobile. He didn't come in, uh, he didn't come like the, the hawks did and ride the ducks. Uh, he didn't come in some open chariot like princes or Caesars or people of power would have. He came, as one theologian says it, and I love how this was penned. This theologian writes it as, he came as one of us. He was lost in a crowd. It gives you a glimpse and an idea that his love is incredibly relational. It's ground level. It's personable. And so not only is that something that he, a posture that he used in loving people, it's what he invites us into. So that's the first word. The overlake is a place where every person is loved. And the second one, the second one is this. Our desires at OCC, Overlake, here, this family, would be a place where every person is known. So loved and known. Loved and known. Let me read verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, 
Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love that Jesus doesn't look up in the tree and he doesn't say, hey, dude, hey, little man, hey, bro. You know, like he actually calls him by name. And when the crowds heard that name that day, what comes to their mind? White collar crook, right? Cheater, liar, backstabber. And yet when Jesus speaks that name Zacchaeus, I actually picture it being spoken with, uh, with, with kindness and with love. And what's incredibly neat is to actually think that name Zacchaeus, a Jewish name, actually means innocent, pure, clean. And you can almost picture Jesus speaking that identity back into this man. And even, even when I hear those words, clean, innocent, pure, I think of a little kid, a little child, and here we have a grown man perched up in a tree with childlike curiosity, right? And by day's end, after spending time with Jesus, we see that curiosity take full bloom into a childlike faith. And when you think about it, only a kid would think of giving away half of what they own to other people. It's so un-American, right? There's no way we would do that. And it's crazy when you think just a chapter earlier, Jesus is quoted as saying these words. Hear these words and think about it in the context of Zacchaeus here, a rich man. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Challenging words for Zacchaeus. And in reality, challenging words for us. Some of the richest people in the world sit in this room right now. Some of the richest people in history are in community right here. Thankfully, Jesus also spoke these words when he said, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we see that transformation take place in Zacchaeus. And I think it begins the moment Jesus looks up, notices him, and calls him by name. And I can even picture that this is a, a, a huge challenge to us, is that what if we, what if we were to do the same? What if we were to actually get to know people? I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Pastor Mike is. He's got pictures in his office. He's like a huge Lord of the Rings freak. And I'm, I'm, I'm not. Like, I've seen the movies. I don't own anything. Uh, and so forgive me if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. I may offend you in this next moment here. Uh, but there's a cool part in the second book, Two Towers, uh, where the, the hobbits, Merry and Pippin, actually come face to face with an ent. And if you've never seen an ent, or you've never seen the movies, or read the books, it's a large, massive talking tree. There you go. I probably offended Lord of the Rings fans just by saying that, right? And what they ask is, they ask this ent, this huge tree, they ask him, what is your name? And here's his reply. I think it's interesting. Here's how he replies to them. He says, my name is growing all the time. And I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of things they belong to in my language. We do not say anything unless it is worth taking a long time to say and to listen to. And he shares with them that his name is Treebeard. Essentially saying, to ask me my name is to know my story. And to know my story takes time, not just in me sharing it, but it takes time for you to listen to it. What if this was a place where every single person experienced, not people just knowing their name, but knowing their story? 
and knowing that that name is growing, that that story is unfolding, that each of us are on this beautiful journey. What if we came with that childlike curiosity? It'd be a powerful thing. The second or third thing that we'd love to see is people are loved and known. And this is a huge part of what it looks like to be known as part of that journey is this word to be heard, to be heard, loved, known, heard. Verses 6 and 7, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. In reading this, I think it'd be easy, and I kind of pictured this from, in my mind as I've heard the story and kind of read it multiple times, is that somehow Jesus is for Zacchaeus and kind of against everyone else because he chose to spend time with him instead of all these other people. And in reality, when you kind of think about it, especially knowing how the story turns out, by day's end, Zacchaeus gives half of his wealth away, and there's some people that are getting four times whatever they were cheated. Think of the people that benefited that day. It was the grumbling crowds. The whole region got a huge tax return, massive. It's crazy. They were like showering in shekels, I'm sure. Like they just were loving it. It's crazy. It blew their minds. And yet Jesus heard the needs of the crowds. He knew the need of Zacchaeus, who probably was the most impoverished of anyone. Perhaps he was the most lonely person in the town. And so perhaps Jesus just taking a posture to listen to him, to hear him. To, to, to invite him to, to share with him what his story is, perhaps that's what led to this incredible uh, uh, turning and transformation. Again, not just for Zacchaeus, but the whole region was transformed. And I could picture it. I love this verse in Romans. It says, it's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. And what drives me nuts about Luke, about the author of this story, he doesn't even give us insight into what Jesus said, the questions he was asking, statements that he was making. It just says, meanwhile. I think in verse 8, it just says, meanwhile. And I could just picture Jesus being so kind. It could have been one of those things where because Jesus was so kind to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was answering all these questions. He was just yakking the whole night, just talking away as Jesus just lobbed questions of care and concern and curiosity. And perhaps it was in that that, that Zacchaeus makes and, and, and comes full circle into this paradigm shift of what the kingdom values are. And he makes an incredible change. And what it makes me think is that we, we need to be a place to make sure that each voice is heard. That each person, yes, is loved and known, but that each voice is valued. That the voices of all in here and down the hall matter. That children's voices are heard. That students' voices are heard. That young adults' voices are heard. Adults' voices are heard. The minority groups' voices are heard. Those that are gay, voices are heard. Those that are lost or hurting, voices are heard. Those that are without homes, voices are heard. That this is a place where we value every single voice. Because it's hard to actually care for someone. It's hard to actually support someone until you've actually listened to them. And that's the fourth point here. The fourth thing that we desire to see Overlake be is a place where every single person is supported, is supported. Our primary support, we know it's divine in nature, it comes from the Trinity, it comes from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And here at Overlake, we're unashamed that we anchor ourselves, that we attach ourselves, that we center on the person of Jesus, that he is exactly everything that we focus on and desire to be. And I love this verse in Colossians. Let me read it. It says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth. Anybody here from Kirkland? Anybody live in Kirkland? God's favorite parish. Come on, that's right. I live in Juanita. Literally, Juanita means God's gift. Just saying, just saying. Uh, It's just what it means. Uh, But just around the corner, if you kind of get outside the bay, there's an amazing park. I know some of you have discovered it already. If you haven't, you got to go. O.O. Denny Park. It's incredible. In the summertime, you get the best view of Mount Rainier. Uh, There's all kinds of water space. Great to have picnics there and and play toys for kids, stuff like that. But if you actually take this hike up the ravine, there's a little creek that comes through, kind of dumps into the lake there. If you hike up that ravine, there is the oldest, the largest tree in King County. There's a little placard. It's right here. Uh, Her name is Sylvia. Someone named her Sylvia, which which, uh, I was curious about. It means spirit of the woods. But but here is Sylvia. Right here in Kirkland, in our backyard, here on the east side. And we know a few things about Sylvia. One, she's estimated to be about 600 years old. Uh, her circumference, it'd take about four or five adults to get her arms around. It's over 26 feet in circumference. And the, and the third thing we know is her best friend is Treebeard. Um, got a few laughs. That was good. All right, that was a test. That was a test. I'll stick with this second service. Okay. What's crazy is this tree is massive, but we don't even get to see the complete root system that's hidden to our eyes. It'd be incredible to see this tree in all its glory. And then it made me think, actually, this tree pales in comparison, if you've ever seen the redwoods. Huge organisms, massive trees. And then as you study what those trees are like, their roots don't even go deep. It says their roots grow somewhere between five and six feet deep. That's not deep at all, but they go out for hundreds of feet. And it says that they connect with the other trees in the redwoods. And what they do is they provide kind of shared support for one another. They're even able, these root systems, as they attach, they're able to actually share nutrients with one another. And it just gives me this imagery of roots and of trees to, uh, of what it looks like for us to support one another. Of what it looks like for us to be connected. And the author of Hebrews, I love this, he writes this. And he urges us, us believers, us that that are committed to Christ, to make sure we make this priority. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And we see these rhythms in the early church. The early church would eat together. They'd meet together. They'd pray together. They would spend time getting to know one another, worshiping together. And we have different pockets of what that looks like here at Overlake. For students, it's group life. If you come here on a Wednesday night, it's crazy. It's like so fun. There's so much energy. You walk straight in the front doors and bam, you're just met with all this chatter, all this fun, all this connection that's taken place. Uh, It can look, if you come here to Overlake on a Tuesday night, again, amazing. You look at Celebrate Recovery. You look at all the different support groups, recovery groups. It's incredible the amount of support that's happening. Uh, We have all these different life groups that meet all over the place. Just think of all the support that's being uh, taking place in that. And then think of just all the different avenues in which there is to engage in serving by offering support. Think of the amazing leaders in student ministries. 
Think of all, all the time spent for those that are preparing for their groups. Think of all the time it's spent uh, uh, with support group leaders and, and biblical counselors and, and those that help with aid and assistance. There's an incredible fabric of what it looks like to be supportive, but to also be in a role where we're supporting others. And it can take different shapes and forms. I know I've been with people at times where I've, I'm in incredible need of just some support. And just them being there. Don't even have to say anything. Just their presence allows me to sense that. I've had other times where people actually say just a timely either compliment or word of encouragement. Or even it comes through sometimes on a text or, or social media or something. But this fall, I received something really special. And what it made me begin to think is what if each person here, each person at Overlake were to experience what it looks like to be supported? Let me read you this note I got from an Overlaker. Pat, I just want to drop you a quick note and say it was a pleasure meeting you this past Saturday. I was with, I wish you and your wife the best as you enter into this new chapter in your life with the birth of your son in January. I will hold the two of you up in prayer during this exciting time. And in addition to this, I will pray for the health of your son. Peace. And then signed off. And what it got me thinking was, what if these were just happening all the time? Don't you have to know someone super well to just offer them a word of encouragement, to drop them a note, to ask them if they'd have time to maybe go and enjoy some cup of coffee. It doesn't take any programming to make that happen. It can just happen. And what if we were a place where people experienced, people tasted what it looks like to be supported? Lastly, this last one, I love this word. I love this word. The last one is challenged. Loved, known, heard, supported, and challenged. Read this verse with me. It's crazy. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Simply put, Jesus leaves people changed. People leaves people changed all the time. And again, by changing one, it had a ripple effect in that entire Jericho region. It's incredible what time spent with Jesus looks like. And I can just imagine that just that time spent with Jesus, Zacchaeus, on some level, recognized and was challenged to do something with this vast, unethical wealth that he had ended up with. He recognized there was something incongruent between the way he was living and this person of Christ. And he felt challenged by it, and he decided to make a change. I'm sure we can actually think, even now, in this moment, maybe see what names or faces come to mind, of people who have challenged you in your life. People that have been there, maybe offered a word of challenge, maybe just simply by how they live, you've felt challenged. Maybe you know them personally, maybe you've seen them at a distance, maybe you've read a book that they've written, but on some level you recognize and you feel challenged in a way where you're then asked to essentially change something. I know for me, my parents, friends like Ryan and Nathan, Josh, Mark, uh, I think of families here at Overlake that I felt challenged by, again, just by seeing. I think of the Hamers, the Robertsons, the Del Martyrs, the McQueens. I think of, of people on, on staff that I get to work with on the team here. I think of volunteers, uh, those of you that are so diligent, so faithful in everything you do. And it, it challenges me. And then in my mind, I actually go back and I try to think of the first person that really challenged me in making a big step of faith. 
And the person who came to mind was a guy, uh, he was the youth pastor at my church growing up. His name was Walter Maxwell. Walter Maxwell. We all called him Walt. And he was so fun, so engaging, had a huge personality, like just totally loud, totally fun. But I'll never forget even the place I was standing at summer camp one summer, sixth grade, where Walter came up to me and with kind but challenging words said, Pat, I wonder if now is the season in your life to make sure that your faith is your own and you don't end up riding the coattails of your parents. I remember those words. Later that year, I decided to get baptized. Walter was the one that actually baptized me. Fast forward 18 years now, just to this last summer. This summer camp actually invites me, the very one I was speaking about, to come and get to be their camp speaker. So I come. It was a fun week. Leah came too. We're just totally reminiscing. And guess who shows up to just encourage me, to just give me a big hug? And he hasn't changed at all, but it was Walt. Walt shows up. And there he is laying a big one on me. It's so fun. Love this guy so much. And this is 18 years later. And it actually, as I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, my word. I think, actually, because Walt challenged me at such an age, perhaps that's where my passion, desire to see the youth meet Jesus comes from. And I even think of the ripple from there of, of just a, a time spent in student ministries. When we first got involved, I had a group of eighth grade boys that I got to spend time with all the way through high school, until they graduated high school. And they'd come at group life, and sometimes, no, 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 no kidding, uh, half my group sometimes showed up half-baked, uh, but they were there. Uh, other times, we didn't even get to the curriculum or the questions. I don't even know what series or book we were going through, but they were there. I remember all these different inside jokes and pranks. I remember camps with them. And I also remember some really tender words. I remember times they shared some dark secrets that they wouldn't have shared with anyone else. I remember times where there were just tears coming from their faces as they shared things. I remember when they took a risk to share things like their hopes and their dreams with me. And it may be the biggest compliment I've ever received this past summer as they come back from summer break. They're like in their final year of college now, which is crazy. They reach out to me, and they ask, Pat, can we connect? Can we go get a drink or some food? And there we are, reminiscing. And at the end, two of them, two different instances, each of them look me in the eye and just say, thank you. Pat, thanks for being there. And I wonder, I wonder if I even would have been had it not been for someone challenging me like Walter did. And I wonder how many other stories are being written even now. Where's a place where you can be that voice that's kindly challenging others, supporting others, loving others, taking time to hear stories, to listen, to know others. And it makes me think again of what Jesus invites us into as a church here at Overlake. Just as the Father sent Christ, sent his Son, sent Jesus... Jesus speaks to us and says, hey, invite all you guys to do the same. Let's pray. Lord, I pray these words into reality for us this morning. That this would be a place, that we would be a family. This would be a church where we truly love each person. That we take the time that each person is known and heard. 
that you would just give us just holy inspiration as to what it looks like to, to support others uniquely and personally. And then, Lord, by your Spirit, challenge us. Challenge us on in every area of life. Nothing's off the table for us, Lord. We, we desire to be obedient to you because we love you and we're crazy about you. And we know the same is true for you about us. In your name, amen. Mm-hmm.